In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a really great conversation with Nathaniel Mason, the team leader of business solutions at City of Tea Tree Gully in South Australia. Now, this episode is personal opinion only and does not represent any government or agency. Now, Nathaniel is also a member of LEGITSA, the local government IT association of South Australia. Nathaniel and I met at the LEGITSA conference in 2019, where I spoke about my Churchill Fellowship and shared learnings for local government. In this episode, Nathaniel tells us about his varied background, beginning in customer service and hospitality, but ending up in IT and local government. He shares with us his passion for volunteering and why he believes getting involved in contribution and collaboration is so important in our smart communities. Nathaniel tells us what a smart community is to him and why he feels it is so important in this ever-changing world. We discuss the impact of policy and the concept of continuous improvement and how this is not new but is finding new focus in the smart city movement. We also talk about the fact that awareness is still growing and the concept of smart communities is still gaining traction in the general population. Nathaniel then tells us about some of the projects he's currently working on and why information sharing is the real key to integrating across disciplines, industries, and agencies, as well as how important it is for regional areas in order to continue to be creative, resilient, and resourceful. We finish our chat discussing the emerging trend of changing local government models where information sharing is more supported and expected. As you know, this month we are all about regional perspective, and it's such a big topic that we're extending this into January as well. So stay tuned for more conversations from local government and regional champions soon. I also want to say Happy New Year and Happy Holidays and stay tuned for a special episode next week, which will be our 150th episode. Can you believe it? I really hope you enjoy this episode because it's the last one of 2019 and such an amazing episode to end on. Nathaniel and I have had such great conversations in the past and this one is no different. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Nathaniel. How are you today? Hello, Zoe. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am fabulous and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. Well, let's jump straight in. Can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. I think like everyone, we have uh, many and a varied past. So I'll go, I'll go back to the beginning. I started out in customer service and hospitality many, many years ago, um, working in restaurants and hotels, which in hindsight, I think was a really good foundation. But accidentally, working in hospitality ended up in IT when I moved to Sydney with us doing some consulting in, in hospitality IT. So made an accidental change in, in journey there, but was was an interesting one, spending some time consulting and, and traveling the country doing hotel systems, which was, which was pretty cool. From there, having a, a growing family, came to, to sort of slow down a little bit and, and stay a bit closer to home. So that was when I switched to, a, to work in government. Spent a few years out in the Barossa Valley. I worked for the Barossa Council there, and I'm now at the city of Tea Tree Gully. Um, I'm really enjoying local government. Um, I, I'll say that the the views that I have are my own. I'm not representing anyone else, but it's been a really really nice place 
For me, I think coming, having seen private sector, working in government sector, I'm a serial volunteer. Um, so I've been working with TEDx Adelaide for the last few years, putting those productions together, more recently with um, South Start Adelaide, working with uh, the Smart Cities Civic Innovation uh, Workgroup, doing some really cool stuff there, and a, a bunch of other stuff. My, my days are pretty full. So, yeah, between work and, and life and family, that's that's a bit of the background. Um, in terms of passion, I, I think, yeah, again, the same as everyone, we, we all just want to make an impact and have our part to, to make a difference and in our in our community or our city or our home or wherever we are. For me, it's, it's really just about getting on and, and doing stuff. I'm certainly a big believer that if you have something to say, then go and do something about it, not one to sit back and, and complain without action. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really keen to, to see us all contribute and, and work together. I'm a big, big believer in collaboration, um, whether it's personal pursuits or professional pursuits. We've um, seen some of the examples where we can do it better together. Excellent. What sparked your interest in the smart community space? Smart communities, I think, was probably accidental. It was just being in government, particularly when I was out in Barossa, you know, that was quite a few years ago on smart communities, smart cities was just kind of an emerging concept. Um, I think it's always kind of been there. We talk about continuous improvement, we talk about process improvement, whatever you want to call it. The idea, I think, of, of smart communities is the same and, and it doesn't have to be at work. You know, you, people talk about Kmart hacks or life hacks and, and you go, oh, gee, that's a great idea. I think everyone is always looking for a better way to do things and um, smart communities is, is a nice way to put a a tool or I guess a common language around it and say smart smart communities is a thing that we're doing and and maybe this is what it means to us. Um, I think I've always looked for for better ways to do things. It's just kind of a natural part of ethos. Um, You know, that that growth mindset I think a lot of people have. um, Smart communities kind of is is a nice way to do it. Intersection with technology is probably what sparked it for me working, as I said, out, out regionally, a lot of the solutions that are coming into smart communities and smart cities, the opportunities that are being created are amplified, I think, um, out there when you've got more distance to cover, things are a bit more diverse. A lot of the solutions and the ideas that we're seeing emerge for smart communities are, are particularly relevant there. So, yeah, I've been watching it with interest. I mean, part of the roles that I've had in recent years is is very much about business engagement and connecting solutions and technology. That's kind of a part of the puzzle that I think I really enjoy most these days. So keeping an eye on what's coming up over the next horizon and what's emerging smart communities, as I said, isn't really, I don't think it's a new concept to be looking for a better way to do things, but we are finding some really interesting and amazing ways to connect people and policy and technology and in communities, just the way that we're doing things, the way that we're sharing, just kind of day-to-day life as well is constantly changing. Mm. And I like the idea of being about continuous improvement. I mean, that's always been there. We're always trying to get make things better and whatever else, particularly, you know, in government, continuous improvement was a term that was thrown around a lot. But you're not just improving the same old, same old. The way to improve something might be to stop doing it altogether um, and do something else or adding technology in there or adding you know, different person in there or a way of doing it. So I think that's really interesting. Mm, for sure, yeah. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't, I think we talk about process or change. You think of, of big machines turning, but um, it's little things as well. You know, just, uh, just, I think it's Amy Cuddy does a really, really great talk. She talks about the way our bodies shape our minds, but she talks about tiny tweaks and big changes. So the concept is that if you make a, make a small adjustment or something, if you keep making those small adjustments over time, it, it eventually creates a significant change. Mm-hmm. So what is a smart community to you? 
It's a really good question. I've enjoyed listening to different definitions of it. Um, and I'm not sure that we'll ever pin it down to one. That's probably good that we don't keep debating. And that's, I guess, that evolution that we're talking about. We want to see things to continue to evolve. To me, I think being a smart city or a smart community is just about looking for those opportunities for improvement, those ways to do things a little bit differently or make something better. Um, everyone's got capacity to change or to drive change. Uh, so before, it doesn't have to be big. It can be small. I mean, we, we do it our, ourselves in our own streets. And I've got a cul-de-sac that I live in. And so we talk to the neighbours a fair bit. And when I think about smart community, I go, well, how do we do things a bit better? How do we put our, help each other get our bins in and out? How do we let each other know that something's happening? And smart community, I think, starts from there. People were really, really passionate about their street, their park, their shopping centre, their community. So I think for a smart community, it's about just looking for ways to do things better. From a policy perspective, I suppose as a government person, that's kind of on my mind too. Policy is important. So smart's not just about tech. It's not just about shiny things. It comes out of how we do things around policy. How do we do community engagement? How do we interact with people? How do we, we listen and participate as well? So I think policy is a really important part of creating opportunities for smart communities or, or for improvement. As government, you know, set something up where we can just get out of the way, where, where we can say there is a fund there or there is an opportunity there and someone can just go ahead and do it. You don't need to go, go through approval processes or jump through hoops. So I think creating space for, for smart cities and smart communities does sort of start at, at that kind of bottom level as well, which takes no effort, well, little effort. Changing a policy or changing a procedure is just a, a little bit of time, change a few words and, and put it out there. But yeah, I think what we're seeing too is the way that people are engaging with each other. You know, it's fascinating watching crowdfunding and crowdsourcing stuff happen because I think that is a really, really novel way that technology is enabling new ways, new ways of doing things. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting part to watch for smart communities, how they sort of self-assemble, self-organize and, and get on with stuff. But yeah, but for me, it's smart community is, is everything. It's, it's not just tech. It's not just policy. It's kind of all of it rolled in together. Mm. Going back to policy for a second, uh, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on some of the, you know, these smaller changes that can have a really big impact in the policy space. What are some of those, you know, smaller mechanisms that we could maybe tweak now or that have been tweaked or that think that it possibly could make a really big difference? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, not reading a lot of policies for fun, but it's good to pop in and have a look at them every now and again. Certainly the one that I've been involved in, I know quite well. And there are some things we can do, I think, really easy, like just saying, you know, that something we will or something we won't. Um, often we go into these kind of long-winded policies that try to cover every scenario. For us recently, we've been looking at open data and just, just a, a sentence that says we, we will share data where we can. Um, it's kind of enough to open a doorway and go, let's get on with it and let's try it. We'll support it with a a procedure that goes through the make sure that everyone's protected and that everything's safe and the risks evaluated and the benefits are there. But something like that kind of works. And um, we're talking about, say, if, if there's a, a policy about community engagement and how, how will we do that, thinking about opportunity statements that say how we will reach out or, or just that we will, I think, is enough in a policy just to say that for our, if we're talking about government, that an agency will try and find a way or will try and reduce some sort of policy or approval. There's probably some good examples out there. Um, I don't know, you've probably seen some, but I have. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, at the conference we were at, you know, it was one of the questions that you were asking. And I think the answer that I gave you was very long-winded, but the one sentence I think is really key 
because I think we forget sometimes how much of an impact policy can have, particularly in government, to give somebody the license to do something. As in, if there's a policy to say that one line that says, we will consider, I don't know, cycling lanes in every new road or whatever, that then gives, I guess, agency to the person making that decision, designing that road, say, oh, well, our policy says that we should consider cycling because in the past it didn't say anything. So it would be really like a fight of somebody that was really activisty, kind of in that space of active transport or something like that. Whereas when you've got one sentence in the policy, you can use that to your advantage. And to the advantage, I say, the public good advantage, um, exactly like you've said, we will open data where we can or we'll share data where we can. That's very simple. But then you can say, well, when we're having these discussions, you can bring it back to the policy. So it makes it very real, very tangible. So I think people get very stuck in smart city or whatever being high level and fluffy and all these things. But actually, you can make it quite tangible by putting these things in policy early. Like you said, small, very small action, but can have quite a significant impact, but can have quite small impact on each project. But then once they build up, then you've got, you know, all of a sudden you've got cycling lanes everywhere. And now you've got a a connected network where people can actually cycle to and from work or whatever. So I think that's why I asked you. So yeah, I think that's um, you gave a great answer, uh, which is, yeah, that we can make some of these small decisions. It doesn't have to be life-changing or super insightful, uh, but it's actually about the vision of, well, what do we want for the future and what are these small tweaks that we can make now? Yeah, just thinking about what's possible. I was just thinking, as you're saying that, too often the, the people who are writing the policy, the policymakers are not the practitioners and they're certainly not the people doing the work. When I was working in consulting and software, I used to always say that the developers have never used the product and the users don't understand how to develop it. And it's maybe the same in in the worlds that we live in outside of, of tech. You know, the, there are people who are making decisions and, and writing things down, but maybe they're not the ones using the space or, or feeling the results of those particular decisions. So I think it's really good to be able to provide some autonomy and some ways for people to create their own space. And if a, a person writes a policy, then the next person you pick it up and goes, right, there's enough room there for me to go, I can interpret this, I can understand this, and I can make some decisions as things evolve, you know, for a policy or a change that's implemented once every three years. Well, you know, technology and the world just moves so much faster than the time or the administration or the effort that it would take to make sure that the words keep up every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to the next question because I think it's like leading on from this. But why do you think that this concept, so smart city, smart community concept is so important? Yeah, I think it's kind of just the way that the world works now. As I've said before, everyone's kind of looking for opportunities to improve. We want to get to where we're going faster. We want to know more about what we're doing sooner. You know, I'm fascinated at watching my children and kind of the people around us that are growing up in this kind of world of you just talk to the TV remote and you tap the thing and you get it. It's kind of fascinating, the the rate of change, but the way that they're just keeping up with it too. So I think about smart communities, it's seeing this rapid integration of people and place and technology, which for those of us who are watching it evolve or are involved in kind of curating what that journey is going to look like, it's it's challenging and it's exciting and it's scary sometimes, but watching kids, it's totally natural for them. This is just the world that they live in and they will expect to, to come into a place that has things on demand and services available and data that's integrated with the way that they're doing things. So, you know, I walk outside and check if the bin's been emptied. They'll be quite prepared to be notified when that's happened if they're even still worrying about that and having conversations with my children about that. Not probably needing to worry about driver's license because they may not need them in 10 years' time. It'll be a, a, a legacy thing that all people have. So I think it's important just to be aware of it. And as I said before, I think 
smart community probably gives us a common framework or a, a common toolkit, common language to talk about some of these things that are going on that are probably going to happen anyway, one way or the other. But it does wrap up a lot of good stuff that we're thinking about in sustainability and environment and culture and people well-being. There's a lot of stuff that it kind of wraps up together that maybe in the past have been separate, but we start to talk about you know, being a smart community or being a smart city, you've got to make sure you've got that multifaceted view. Again, I think government does that quite organically. That's one of the things that I enjoy. It's not, it's often not revenue driven. It's almost always outcome driven. I think smart kind of is starting. There's a bit of a known relation to technology and the shiny stuff comes up pretty quick, but I think it also lends itself to saying it's not just about better, faster, stronger. In the case of private, it's not just about revenue. There are lots of factors in there. I was on um, South Start last week working on that event, and it was really, really, I said it was soul-nourishing was the word that I used, but to listen to tech startups that actually have a humanitarian focus, you know, that are, that are not driven as a for-profit. <laughs> They're driven as a, this is a purpose and this is a reason that we do things by the way, we're just using some technology to deliver it. So it feels very, very much like the Simon, Simon Sinek golden circle, but there are people out there who are, are really living it and really driving it. So I think it's, it's important that we think about all the things that are involved. I think smart communities is, is probably doing that. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I think that's a really good point that this stuff is happening anyway. And if we're not involved, then we're giving the reins over to somebody else who will be and the diversity won't be there because people that can see profit and those type of things, yes, we still need businesses. You know, there's nothing wrong with making profit, but it's that purpose-driven or that purpose, you know, the reason behind it, what it why are we doing this? And I think um, particularly as government, you know, it's a public servant. It's a service for the public. And I just think that we need more people, you know, like you, involved in the government side of things so then we can actually have that real impact because. Your kids will expect these things and even us, you know, we expect certain things now. And some people say, you know, well, we're losing humanity and all those type of things. But that is even more reason to be involved in this space now because we are actually coding the future right now. Whether you're on a board making a decision about a certain thing or whether you're in a community group saying, oh, this is maybe we should try it this way. All of those things will actually code what the future will look like. So, I think it's so key that we get involved. And I do think that this smart community thing and whatever we want to call it in the future is really the first time where we've been able to bring all those different parties together, you know, the technology as well as placemaking and health and education and all these things coming together because we're realising now that they must be uh, for this multiplier effect to actually be able to improve the quality of life, draw people out of poverty decrease that divide in the regions and, and the urban areas and what does that actually look like on a global scale? Mm, yeah, and as I say, we're, we're kind of programming the world and we're curating it and I think there are enough people, we can always do with more, but there are enough that are prepared to just put a pause in that program or that code and say, let's just stop think outcomes, adverse effects, um, having conversations of what if we do, what if we don't. I think you said before that sometimes the option to do nothing is okay too. Um, certainly, I think every, we're aware of some risks, and I, I wonder whether we'll have some people that go back to analog. You know, just just because it's old school, just because it's fun, just because it's not being tracked, just because it's anonymous. You know, but there might be something that we see happen, go full circle, and go we'll, we'll go faster and everything data and everything tech, and then there'll probably be some people that are going, nah, I'm just going to go back off the grid again for a while. 
Mm, but it's funny that like tech will actually enable that as well because you'll be able to have intentional black spots. So, and I think you'll be able to dip in and out, you know, as you kind of choose. But then what what that looks like from a privacy perspective and making sure that you know we don't want completely anonymous people then interacting in a way that they can never be tracked and doing illegal things, you know, that type of thing as well. So it will be really, really fascinating. And I do think that intentional black spots, I need them occasionally, uh, actually quite, you know, the more you get into tech, you feel like you need them more and more. But then there's other things that you don't even think of that are tech, you know, well, us having this conversation right now and being able to even, you know, where we can work and how we can actually find out when the, I don't know, yoga session is on whereas before you would have to go there and get your sheet of paper whatever that's a really lame example but I just think yeah it's really interesting the enabling factor of it which we do talk about a lot but I think when you dig kind of a bit deeper into that it can also be enabling the quiet space that you need as well away from the technology yeah people always always have choice I think that's we're going to really preserve that judgment everyone to make their own choice and maybe morals ethics and data is a it's a topic for another month. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, it's, it's on the list. And in the informed citizen, I think I'm really looking forward. I've got some more privacy experts lined up um, to do a bit more of a kind of deep dive into this. Anyway, let's move on to, okay, how do you think Australia is currently embracing this concept? And you can stick with, you know, South Australia or nationally. It's up to you. Yeah, I think it's still growing traction. It's difficult to comment nationally. I follow it, obviously, through different forums and different conversations and events and articles and newsletters and all sorts of stuff. I guess still seeing some growing awareness. I don't think you could easily walk up to anyone on the street and probably not even anyone inside a company or a government agency and say, do you know what a smart city or a smart community is? It probably would still get a few blank stares. So I think where where there is awareness, there's certainly some, some embracing, some people who are really picking it up. You know, there are some organisations and some groups that are really trying to progress it forward, like yourself and the, you know, the Smart Cities Association and ASCA. And um, I work with the local government IT association in South Australia, and, and we're certainly keeping it high on our agenda. Um, it's interesting to watch it from a federal funding perspective. Um, that's often an indicator of where things are being seen. I know there's lots of advocacy and lots of discussion going on. But as I said before, I, I don't think a lot of it is entirely new. It's just being put under a new kind of umbrella. By working in politics, I don't really follow politics. So knowing where it sits on whose agenda, I'm not really sure. But I think it's it's generally growing. Uh, I think there's interest, as I said. It, it kind of is, is for everyone's benefit. Um, and certainly if we, we keep coming at it that way... Uh, it's going to keep gaining traction. But yeah, I think awareness is still an interesting one. You kind of have to explain a few things about what the concept is before people are really on board. Some have written big shiny strategies. Some of us have not kind of put it up in lights. We're just trying to bake it into what we do. So yeah, I think there's a bit of a mix of what's happening, but but certainly a good groundswell. Mm. Tell us about some of the projects and things that you're currently working on. Oh, we, we do a great many things. Um, <laughs> so I think I've through, through local government IT association, LGIT, we call it in South Australia, we've got a number of initiatives that are across councils and across government in South Australia. So it's a, a volunteer organisation that we are driving this forward. We're very interested in information sharing at the moment. It's, and that sounds really boring because it's not shiny at all and it doesn't beep or anything. But from a smart perspective, I think the fastest way that we can all support each other to progress is to, to share our stories and share our successes and 
share where it didn't work. So I think that's one of the smartest things that we're doing at the moment is just trying to create opportunities for people to collide in hallways or, or sit down and have a chat or exchange a resource or a person is what we're really working on at the moment and going, well, it's generous to go, here's our project plan or here's our template or here's our outcomes document, off you go, good luck. But it would be really amazing if I could walk out of where I am today and go to the council next door and go, right, I'm going to sit down with you for two weeks and we're going to do this thing because I just did it and I can bring those learnings and those ideas and those opportunities straight over and, and transfer them. So I think that that's something that's really hot on our agenda um, from a collaborative LGIT approach at the moment. At a council level, we're kind of looking at, well, we're always, we're always looking at the ways that we do things, but some of our frameworks around project management delivery, um, we're trying to streamline a bunch of projects that are kind of little safe-to-fail experiments, I guess, that's what we're kind of calling them. We're looking at doing some environmental monitoring for our trees at the moment. We want to we want to better understand how to, how they are being affected by conditions and how do we get to more of them to be able to plant more of them, um, which is really exciting. Starting to look at some of our um, open spaces, understand their maintenance requirements and their usage levels, um, and all these things to sort of inform decisions. We when we get to the the chamber or when we get to a decision, we really want to be able to say. In the past, we'd do community engagement and we'd have lots of emotive discussion. Um, but here's the future, which is we'll present the data, we go, these are the facts, this is what we know. Now let's go and have the emotive discussion and talk about how people feel about it and what it means and we can bring all of those things together to hopefully assist in decision-making. So, yeah, lots of, lots of little bits and pieces. We're, we're dabbling with some automation on the administration side. Yeah, lots, lots of little little stuff. Mm, yeah, I was really excited to go to the Legitza conference and obviously speak at it as well, but I was very keen and interested in hearing about the awards that, uh, you know, the local governments were, were getting and, and the projects that they were working on. And what I really liked is, like you said, they weren't all big and shiny and they didn't beep. They were really practical things that just made the department or whatever function a bit more effortlessly or they used a bit of data or they increase the efficiency or whatever, um, but really shining the spotlight on that, I think was it was really key and that it wasn't just huge, big, shiny, lots of expensive things happening. It was really kind of grassrootsy feel, which, yeah, it was really nice. I really enjoyed it. That's good. And it's really important, I think, to have that forward going, someone did a really good thing or someone tried to do a really good thing and it fell apart, but hey, it was a learning for the rest of us that we're not going to do that thing. It's kind of, it's difficult for often to get people to tell their stories or to celebrate it or to beat their own chests. I mean, a lot of the time we don't know what's happening behind closed doors in different places. So, yeah, the awards have been a really good way for us to just celebrate those things. And as I said, for, for the regionals who maybe don't have as many opportunities to get to events, but as you said, also don't have the budget to drive stuff. It's not about spending big dollars and building big things. Um, when we look at, we have an independent panel of judges, but we, we give them the sort of autonomy to say, do consider the size of the organisation and the outcome that they've achieved because sometimes you can go, oh, well, maybe a, a, a capital city council did something or a large metropolitan council did something, but maybe a, a regional did something really cool and they did it on a on a dime or they spent no money. You know, sometimes you have to think, oh, well, you certainly have to be more resourceful. And I know that regionals is, is kind of something that we're talking about at the moment a bit more and something to focus for you, um, you know, that resourcefulness and resilience is, is quite amazing and I'm often astonished by the things that people are achieving when they've got many, many hats, not many people around them. Um, I certainly really enjoyed my, my time and even Barossa is only an hour out, so it's not 
not super regional, but it's quite interesting to see how people find ways of doing things better. Um, you know, when you've got a, a distance to travel, or you've got a limit of time, or you've got a limit of budget. Um, there's a lot of creativity that that bubbles up, um, navigating the, the volatility and complexity of what's happening. Mm. Well, let's talk about integrating across different disciplines. And I'm keen to hear your thoughts because obviously you're one of those people that wears many hats. But how do you think we can better integrate across, you know, different disciplines, governments, you know, community groups, academia, and industries? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, the thing that I find constantly fascinating is that we are. We're all customers of all the same products and the same services. Um, you, you and I are customers of the same government. We probably shop at some of the same shops online, if not in, in person. But then maybe we have different understandings and different knowledge about what's happening in those places. But I guess for me, being inside the government system, you go, oh, it's the same at every organization where maybe the person across the hallway doesn't know what the person on the other side is doing. So it probably comes back to that information sharing uh, a lot. For us, making a real effort, we're, we're doing, even within within teams, we're, we're starting doing Monday morning huddles. We just get together, have a little stand-up and go, focus on achievements, but also on planning and going, this is what we're going to be doing next week. And that's just at a real macro kind of team level. I think it would be good to see how we could do it uh, at a bigger level. And probably it's the bravery to say, well, this is the thing we're thinking about. It's not a thing we're doing. It's not a thing we're spending money on yet. It's not a thing that we're committed to do. It's just a thing we might do. Because then it kind of gives opportunity for other people to jump on that wagon. I don't know, that's always really difficult in the commercial world because people don't want to give away secrets and you don't want to leak your roadmap. So I kind of get some of the challenges there. I know it's difficult from a reputation perspective everywhere where someone says, oh, we think we might do this thing. And then if you change your mind, then all of a sudden you're accountable. So there, there may be some trust and some honesty that's needed as well. But to find a way or a mechanism that we can let each other know what's happening, uh, I don't know exactly what that is. But as I said, events through LGRT um, is certainly helping uh, we're using Yammer and stuff between tiers and industries. I'm not really sure what, what that looks like yet, but we're certainly using LGRTSA as our conduit. So saying to all the councils that are in South Australia, come to us, come to me, come to one of the, the members of the board. We're establishing some kind of direct links to state government. We've been talking to DTA quite a bit lately. So we're just trying to create sort of hub and spoke conduit models to go, these are the pathways. If you want information or you're ready to share information, then bring it to the central point and then we've got the, I guess I'm describing it like a train station, but we've got the exchange where we can get it onto the right track to get it to the next person and I can share it at everyone at the other end. There was a really, I don't know if you've seen the start rail map in the startup world. Um, it looked like a, a city rail map, um, if you're familiar with like the Sydney, yeah, Sydney city rail, but it, they did it for the startup world. I mean, this is how you get from junction to junction and I'll say it openly because I'm more about sharing ideas. It's something that I'd really like to do. So if someone wants to do it for, you know, whatever industry, I'd love to do it for, say, government and go, or smart cities. Smart cities would be amazing. I was talking to Adam Beck about it and seeing if we can spark something like that as well. But go, if you're a newcomer or you're not really sure where to go, then we could lay out a visual map and go, this is your next junction that can probably help you on your next step of your journey and then they'll be able to connect you to the next ones. So, I, yeah, I'm not, that, sorry, I'm, I'm off topic, but that's one of those things they go, just ways to find the right person. Sometimes that's all you need to know is who do I who do I ask this question, and that might help us to better integrate. No, I agree because I think particularly for that integration, it is just about starting the conversation. Like so many people that I've just bumped into, or you know, even bumped into online these days on LinkedIn or whatever, and then what that starts, and then can have those conversations. So yeah, no, I think it's really good. Let's talk about emerging trends quickly. Um, what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? Yeah, that's a pretty well. I mean, 
there's so much buzz and so much hype, I think, that you hear from media and probably out of the, the market side. I guess we're not probably talking a lot about how do we share or kind of collaboration is my thing, right? But talking about smart cities in general, just kind of having conversations, it's, it's difficult to say that there's a particular thing that we're not talking about. But I guess I'd just love to see more conversations and more deep thought, more sort of considered thought about what it looks like. You know, these kind of conversations are really good. Enjoying some of the ideas on the podcast. I did kind of have a think about this one, but yeah, just awareness. I think we just need to keep kind of sharing, keep creating opportunities to see what's happening and maybe not jumping on the first bus that comes past. But yeah, seeing seeing what's coming. It's, yeah, it's a difficult one to predict. I'm certainly not much of a crystal ball. I spent a lot of my time with my head in the clouds wondering what will come over the next horizon. Um, you know, it's kind of kind of part of what we have to do in the world of technology and sometimes, sometimes in government. But no, nothing particular. Well, picking up on what you've been saying is that I think the emerging trend is that we do this I guess, model of government differently, as in the collaboration actually occurs so that you as at Teacher Gully can then go and sit in another government that's really easy to do. Like that, I think, is an emerging trend that we're not talking about enough and actually opening up those channels. I think the mapping out of the ecosystem, I don't know if that's the right word, but the you know, smart community initiatives and projects and things that are happening around and who to talk to and that type of thing is really, really important too and kind of what I'm attempting to do on the podcast as well in an audio sense rather than a visual sense. But, yeah, I, I think they are emerging trends that we aren't talking about enough because we may be focusing on, you know, the buzz. That's not It's not buzzy and sexy and doesn't make any beeps. So I think that's, that is an emerging trend. Mm. Actually, one that I would love to see I've written, uh, written down, but the policy by Git, I don't know, I'm banging on about policy a bit, but thinking about the way that software is developed in a, in a repository, you know, it was something I came across a long time ago of, of could we actually just put things out there and let them be totally crowdsourced all the way from policy, the solution, be fascinating to see, and I don't know if that's a trend, it's maybe just an idea, but you know, we're seeing it, I mentioned crowdsourcing before and crowdfunding are kind of happening. So maybe that's a, that's a trend that we've seen at a, a commercial or a consumer level that I, we can crowdsource and we can buy a thing. But I'd be really fascinated to see if that trend evolves to say, can we crowdsource a policy? Can we crowdsource what our, I mean, we can kind of do to a certain extent through community consultation, but often it's a, here's, the, here's a 90% of what we've done and you can comment or tweak. It'd be really interesting to see if we can get to a point from, a blank page, whether it's whether it's government or whether it's private, someone will go, hey, people don't always know what they want, but whether we could come to a point where it's totally created by people who are, as I said before, policymakers are not always the practitioners. If it is, the things are being created by practitioners, that would be fascinating. Maybe maybe it's an experiment that we can do, whether that's a trend, I'm not sure. No, it's it's really interesting. I think an experiment that I would love to be a part of would be really cool. I think it's lots of learnings, I think. Yeah, and you know, things like things like waste we go that are evolving and things are changing and what we have a conversation maybe how do how do we change that model to say well as a consumer I'd rather put my recycling out every week in my landfill once a fortnight but that option's not available to me so how do I then go and start a conversation with my provider or my council or whoever it is and go this is what I want and if there was enough people well where do I put that idea that people can jump on it and go yeah let's write our own version and then it kind of it's a real bottom up approach I don't know we'll see cool well. Nathaniel, it's been so awesome to chat with you. And I'm so glad that we met in person um, in South Australia. And I really look forward to coming back down again at some point and having some more conversations. It was awesome. Yeah, thanks for coming. Okay, one last question. 
how can people connect with you? Um, yeah, I kind of across all the socials, but probably most active on LinkedIn. Um, I, I didn't mention before, but I also have a couple of, couple of businesses on the side. One of them is in photography, so people probably stumble across my photos before me. But yeah, LinkedIn's a good place to find me. And yeah, I kind of ignore my Twitter notifications and, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, happy to chat on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Well, thanks so much again, and we'll talk soon. No worries. Thanks, Zoe. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Are you looking for an engaging speaker, MC, or facilitator for your next big event? Then we've got you covered. Zoe is a go-to speaker, MC, and conversation facilitator with a difference. She's a master at simplifying the complex and making connections you might never see. Book Zoe for your next event. Email hello at mysmart.community or head over to her speaker page, www.mysmart.community forward slash speaking. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community community slash podcast if you have any questions for us or any of our guests you can email hello at mysmart.community you can also find us on the socials we are on linkedin and twitter at smartcomhq that's com with two m's if you are enjoying the podcast please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes, so thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.